Welcome back to another episode of Consciously Clueless. I'm your host, Carly, and I'll be your guide in this journey from consciousness to cluelessness and back around again. Today on the podcast, I talk to Jasmine Leva. Jasmine is an artist in every sense of the word. She works as a model, as an actress, and as a producer for many different projects. She produced a feature-length documentary, The Invisible Vegan, that chronicles her experience with plant-based eating. It also talks about how African-American eating habits have been debased by a chain of oppression stemming from slavery, economics, and modern agribusiness. Here we go. Um, well, thank you for joining me today. I'm really excited to chat with you and finally get to connect. I'm excited too. I like to start with this question. The podcast is called Consciously Clueless. And I did that with this idea in mind that, you know, on this journey, you have those moments where you're like, I get it. I'm conscious. I have reached the moment where I understand the world. And then you have those moments where you're like, just kidding. I know nothing. I'm clueless. And I really like talking about like all of it in between. Right. So I like asking people when we start just kind of where you're feeling right now in this moment on the spectrum from conscious to clueless. Oh, wow. Um, I guess a little bit of both. And I think from the day that you're born to the day that you die, like you should always be in a state of growth. And even, you know, now, like in my twenties, I was more attached to this idea of like, this is right and this is wrong. Mm -hmm. Whereas in my thirties, it's more of looking at things as right and wrong, looking at things like, no, these are just two really different perspectives and they each have, you know, qualities of truth. Um, So yeah, in a constant state of learning. Yeah, I like that qualities of truth. Like yeah. that's all there. That's really beautiful. Um, so I started following you on Instagram a while back and I really loved how honest your conversations about like veganism and um, social justice and all those intersections were. And I think that as someone who's been vegan for a few years, I, and as a white woman, it's been really good to find these spaces where my white veganism is challenged. And I think that some of the content that you put out in some of the conversations you've had in the past on your platform are like really, really cool. And I would love to hear more about um, the film that you created. Okay, so... I I created the invisible vegan as, you know, just it, there was a void in mainstream vegan media. Like a lot mm-hmm. of my friends became vegan. I would tell them all about the vegan diet and they were just not excited. And I'm like, why are they not getting this? And then I started tuning into all these things that I loved, you know, mm-hmm. the inks, the cowspiracies, the vegetated, all the stuff. And then it, it hit me. I'm like, you know what? I mean, I, I like the, you know, I like all of those documentaries as a collective. Totally. I noticed like they're all kind of geared towards the same group. Like you have um, all, you know, all those docs, like you, the male, there's usually like a white male lead. If there is a black expert uh, brought in, it's only like a few or, you know, color brought into the narrative as like, look, these, this is the group of people that needs help. 
you know, so we weren't seeing ourselves in an empowered role within the movement. So that's what I was like, oh, okay, this is what's missing. This is what's invisible. You know, let yeah. me do a project that kind of caters to what I, I want to see and what we need to see, which is um, diversity, because we want a diverse movement. So you're an actress. Had you done film production before? I worked, yeah. So I worked on a documentary series prior to doing the film. And it was funny because I wanted to write on the documentary series. I was an associate producer at the time. And my EP, he kind of like laughed it off. Like, ha ha, you know, writing is a big beast. And I took that as oh, cool. So he wants to hold me in a position that I don't want to stay in. Like, I know that I know how to write and I'm not going to sit here and wait for someone else to give me the green light. I'm just going to do it myself. So that's, so I did go into the project production experience. Okay. Wow. And were you in this field as an actress first and production later? Or like what got you into this kind of media space? So growing up, I was usually, um, I was really into acting, mm-hmm. but then I got to LA, the the way acting is structured, like the having to do all these auditions and maybe you only get one role. It's just like, it wasn't practical enough. It's like, eh, you know, I kind of want something a little more secure, mm-hmm. but I film and TV was still my love. So I decided to, you know, go to school to learn like behind the scenes stuff. And it's equally, you know, for me, it's like an equally creative thing. And I don't have to be in front of the camera. So I kind of just just merged the two for the last Yeah. So as um, I am now going to just call you a film buff, because that's how that's what I imagine. Like anybody who works in that field, like knows all those things. What are um, like a best kept secret of a show or a movie or something that you're like, I can't believe people, everyone doesn't watch this. Oh, um, it's so funny because when you work in TV, like right now I'm working on a show. I don't even have time to watch TV. <laughs> the irony, right? Yeah, like you don't even have time to watch TV. Um, so what happens is I end up watching the more like popular things mm-hmm. that like everyone, so I can stay ahead in my industry. Yes. So when Game of Thrones came out, it's just like, guess we're watching Game of Thrones kind of thing. <laughs> That's one I actually haven't watched. Oh man, it was great. The I mean, the last season... It was what it was, but up until that point, amazing. Yeah, I mean, I paid attention to the internet enough to know that people were up in arms about the last season, but other than that, I really don't know anything. Yes, yeah, um, an incredible show. So, take me on your journey of becoming vegan. How did that happen? Oh, I it was it's not a noble story. It was more like <laughs> I just you know, saw this woman, you know, middle-aged and she was wearing booty shorts and like this tank top. And it was like a mid And I was just like, hey, I want to be like that. And I want my body to look just like hers. Mm -hmm. And so I was vegan. And so I'm like, oh, let me try veganism because I want to look like that. And I did. And what happened was some of the things that um, I was battling with, you know, some minor health situations I had Mm -hmm. going on, started clearing up. So I was like, Oh, wow, this is more than just um, an aesthetic thing. This is actually getting my health in order. And so I started reading up about it. And then I'm like, oh, wow, this is actually, you know, how I eat plays a part in climate change. Like it plays mm. a part in the welfare of other species. Like, so I just started kind of making all these other connections and I became more inspired to stick with it. 
what were some of those health issues, if you don't mind sharing that we're kind of clearing up? Oh, absolutely not. So when I, uh, TMI alert to all your listeners, <laughs> <laughs> but when I was in my twenties, like I started having problems with hemorrhoids, which is mm-hmm. you know, a comfortable thing. And even my, my cycle, you know, every month I would get really bad bloating and it was super uncomfortable. And then when I switched my diet, I'm like, wait, I went from this horror movie every month to now my (laughs) cycle is like this cute little friend that just says hey girl and she keeps it real light and there's no oh I'm jealous man (laughs) so that was a dream and then I was going through it with acne at the time okay so having really clear skin then I hit my 20s and it's like now I'm getting acne Mm. making me self-conscious and then when I switched to when I cut out like the dairy and stuff my skin started clearing up So, yeah. Yeah. It's amazing how many people talk about like not necessarily going into being vegan, like I'm going to get rid of my hemorrhoids. I'm going to go vegan. But like the byproduct of realizing, oh shit, like this has a lot of effects on my body. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And now it's, and I have to be very careful because when I was eating this way, you know, this is something I did 15 years ago. Oh, so wow. didn't have all of the options that you have now, mm-hmm. you know, so I wasn't eating, you know, my skin and stuff started clearing up, but I was also eating healthier foods. Like I wasn't, they didn't have like the vegan Ben and Jerry's, <laughs> <laughs> like all the vegan junk food that have out now. Oh, wow. 15 years ago, you were ahead of the curve. Yeah. Before wow. it was and- So have you influenced anyone in your life or anyone like you work with or anything to go vegan in those 15 years? I imagine that you've got stories of people telling you you're the reason. Oh, yeah. And so I wasn't, you know, just I wasn't vegan the entire 15 years. It was Mm -hmm. a thing where I did it. I really liked it. But the upkeep was a little like, eh. so then I would just go back and forth. And then finally. I stuck with it after a lot of trial and error, but yeah, like people in my life, um, I see changes everywhere. Like friends, people I've been in dance classes with, Mm. you know, they've been inspired to try or they'd be like, yo, I haven't had meat since I watched your film. So I get that all the time from friends and family members and and people that I would never have expected to do it. But none of it, um, none of it came from me like preaching the vegan word to anyone. Like it all came from just me living by example or people watching my film or listening to my talks. Like I never tried to force anything on anybody. They just kind of came around. Did you ever go through that phase of, like I've talked about this before on the podcast. I feel like when I initially became vegan, I was like, oh, everything I knew was a lie. Oh my gosh, what is happening? And I was really upset by it. And I didn't understand why everyone in my life wasn't as mad as me. And then I was like, no one's really listening to this anger. (laughs) (laughs) Um, you know, I've always, I guess I've always prized my relationships with people. Mm-hmm. And I always try to have a good relationship with people. And I know there are um, people who are like, I don't care if I make people uncomfortable. And I actually do care if I make people uncomfortable. And one of the reasons why I didn't consider veganism initially is because I saw a lot of the, the fanatics and I saw a lot of the extremists. And I was like, I want nothing to do with that. Yeah. Because 
of, you know, that negative energy that I saw. So when I became vegan, it was almost like, you know, I wanted to show respect for where people Mm -hmm. were. And I wanted to kind of show them like, look, you know, all vegans aren't crazy. If not to label people as crazy, but you know, if I see someone eating their burger, even though I don't agree with that choice, like they're the CEO of their own lives and I have to respect that. And people tend to listen to you more anyway when you show that respect. Yeah, I lo- I definitely learned that lesson the hard way because people weren't really interested in me being upset with them for their life choices. Who would have thought? But I also, I don't know if this has been your experience, but the more um, intentional I become with learning about all the intersections of these issues, I've realized that the loudest, angriest, most judgmental vegans and like some of those like Facebook groups or whatever it is tend to be white and tend to like not be coming from that perspective of intersectionality. I don't know if that's been your experience. I, you know what, to be honest, and I guess to be fair, like I've seen the, you know, the vegan righteous people, Mm -hmm. I've seen it come from all races, but I I definitely see a strand of it in the the mainstream white community for Mm -hmm. sure. And the problem with it is they don't realize that their actions get interpreted, even though that, you know, they don't think they're bringing race into it. Right. Like their actions get kind of decoded through race, you know, Mm -hmm. as a black person in society, I'm just so used to someone telling me I need to change. I need to straighten my hair. I need to have a more, like, I can't wear a dashiki or African print to a job interview. I need to wear something that's more European friendly. So I'm in a society where I always have to whiten up. And so Mm -hmm. when white person comes and tells like this other group that they actually want nothing to do with sometime like hey we want nothing to do with your community but we want you to eat the way that we eat we want you to eat the way that we tell you to eat and you're also bad because you eat the way that you eat so it just comes off as like okay here's this group of white people villainizing or vilifying this group um of people of color again you know it becomes a trigger. It's like a weird thing. So you just have to know um, as a messenger, how your message is being um, decoded by certain groups. And I think what you said in the beginning was interesting too, because then I was thinking back to some of the like more earlier films made about veganism, that kind of white savior. It totally does have that flavor of like, we're going into these communities that really need our help because they don't know how to eat. And we're going to help them out. And I didn't um, put that white savior label on some of those things that I'd seen before, but you're right. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, and when you see it over and over again, and I mean, they, you know, they don't mean harm. Like I'll watch Mm -hmm. it like that and I'll see that, you know, it was like, okay, you didn't bring any people of color into the narrative. And now you bring them in at the hour mark, like, oh, look at this poor family eating Burger King every night. Mm. And it's just like when you constantly see yourself represented in that context, it gets so annoying because it's like, I know that that element exists, but there's so much more to our culture. Like you have people who are making, who are pioneers in the plant-based movement, but it seems like there's a choice not to highlight those people. You know, even when I hear, you know, people give credit to David Watson, you mm-hmm. know, in, I guess, the guy who coined the term veganism in the 1940s, which, okay, he created the vegan society, give him credit for that, yes, but to 
not acknowledge that other indigenous cultures had plant-based eating ways long before the 1940s is, you know, it's a little, it's inappropriate, you know? Yeah. To act as if eating primarily plants was this new idea in the 1940s. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, when you like, even when I said it out loud, I was like, this is, it's silly. Like, it's like wild. Right, right. It's just like, uh, sometimes, you know, certain groups give themselves a little bit too much credit for things. And, you know, after a while, it's just like, okay, stop, 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 stop. He created a term, he created a society. Yes, I will give you that. Mm-hmm. But as far as like who created plant-based eating, lots of different groups, whether you're talking about Rastas or Buddhists, mm-hmm. you know, lots of groups, you know, believed in plant-based food ways. Do you engage in a lot of those kind of conversations whether it be on social media or people you interact with if you um hear stuff like that like is that something that you like to do because some people are like I love educating people and jumping in and some people are like I'm just gonna eat my vegan burger and hope someone asks about it and I think both pathways are great but is that something you like to engage in I like to, like, across the board, whether we're talking about veganism or anything else, mm-hmm. I like to engage with people who um, want to understand different perspectives. Because mm-hmm. that's how I, like, even me as a vegan, I don't like to stay in the echo chamber. So, like, right now I'm reading a book, Nourishing Wisdom by Mark David. It's a book about food because I'm interested in food, but it's mm-hmm. not a vegan book. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't want to ever close myself off. So I, I enjoy kind of talking to people who are on the same page, because sometimes if you talk to, um, if I, you know, get the vibe from someone that they're not interested in learning, um, they're not interested in learning, they're just committed to their ignorance, it's going to exhaust me um, to try to convince that person because they're already shut down. So totally. Would, before you created the Invisible Vegan film, were you would you have called yourself an activist or do you feel like when you kind of had that, like, wait a second, all these films are the same. I need to change the narrative. Do you feel like that was a moment that kind of pushed you into that role? I actually never considered, <laughs> I never considered myself an activist. Until- oh yeah. I guess I could have asked that first is if you consider <laughs> yourself that now, I'm sorry. No, it's, I, I'm, you know what? I, and I always say, like, before when I thought of activists, I always think of people who really put their lives on the line, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, like, you're out there, you're in front of a hose or in front of dogs, you're organizing boycotts. Oh <laughs> and I didn't think that, you know, just having, when you have the power of influence, it's like mm-hmm. what you choose to get that influence can make you an activist. Even like, I, I'm, I have the gift of art. I could have made a movie about, oh, this is how you get a bigger butt, like Kim Kardashian. But... <laughs> Like I could have used my art for that purpose, but the fact that I chose to say like, no, I want to, you know, add something to the social fabric of society, like something that's positive, you know, that is a form of activism. So I I accept that. Mm -hmm. And did you not really like think of it that way until you created that film? So you're saying like before that you're like, I don't, I'm not an activist. I didn't think of it until someone, I got asked to do a panel and a talk. Mm-hmm. Um, about activism and that's where you know it was kind of like this label that someone thrust upon me and then I had to think about it and you know the speech I did was literally about how I didn't even think of myself as an activist mm. but 
I, you know, I just, I guess I, I, in a sense that I am motivating people and I am taking action against something that I don't agree with. And, you know, activism can be as simple as putting up a photo on Instagram to try to persuade others to do something positive. Like it can be that simple. Yeah. I think it's a really cool way to think about making change because I often thought of that kind of like activism as these big grandiose things too, which are super important. But, you know, if I post a picture of vegan pancakes and one person is like, wait a second, those actually look good. Tell me more about that. Like, you know, like that's starting a cool conversation. And it's, um, I think we underestimate the influence we have sometimes over people. We do, we do. And if everyone, it'd be cool if you just have more people kind of accepting that activist role, like you could do something positive and then you would just have way more people kind of putting out positive um, things that would lead us more towards a more spiritual society than what we are now. Yeah. Oh, if more people would accept that role. I really like that because I think a lot of people just think that they can't or they don't like, I don't know what it is. There's something scary. I think about the word like activists or thinking of yourself in that way. I don't know what it is, but it's in, it's like intimidating. Yeah. Yeah. You feel, you feel a lot of pressure. You feel Mm. like you also feel like once you take that role, like you can't make mistakes. You know, if you're an actress, you know, if you're the Lindsay Lohan, it's just like, yo, she's an actress. She could totally do all that stuff um, and make all these mistakes. But then when you're in this like activist role, it's, um, it almost feels like oh, I have to be perfect in a sense. Because um, any display of moral corruption will result in my downfall. <laughs> yeah, totally. I think that I never described it exactly in that way, but I think I definitely... I definitely fell into that when I started becoming more interested in sustainability and like low waste living. All of a sudden I was just like, oh, I have to be perfectly low waste. And if I accidentally get a straw at a restaurant, like I'm a failure and that's crazy. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And then when you start to overthink it, I think you, you become a little uncomfortable in your own life. And you can't even, you know, it just creates this obsession. Like even for me, you know, one time I had a purse and it was a vegan leather purse. And then Mm -hmm. someone called me out and I'm like, my purse is vegan leather. And they're like, well, you're still perpetuating the idea that it's okay to wear animals. And, And so like what that taught me kind of is, you know, damned if you do, damned if you don't. Like no matter what I try to do, there will be someone that will find the flaw in it. So for now, you know, I'm just, I'm on a journey. I do what I can. If mistakes get made, everyone will just have to live with it. (laughs) Yeah. And being able to talk about those mistakes, like that's something interviewing people and talking to people on this podcast. Like I always joke, if nobody listens to it, it's okay. Because selfishly, I'm learning so much talking to amazing people and realizing the moments that I have to be like, oh, I've done that. That wasn't cool. And I'm going to own it on this podcast. So people listening will be like, oh, okay, I can admit that I did something wrong and then move on. Like, you just don't want to be wrong. Yeah. You know, that's such a scary thing to do. And it's like, oh my God, I'm wrong all the time. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so culture, you know, even within the vegan movement. And that's something that bothers me a little. 
because you'll see people say, you know, even if it's a celebrity, mm-hmm. if they decide to stop being vegan, then you see all the, you know, this influx of vegans kind of putting this person down and, and jumping on them. And, um, and I, and I don't want to be a part of that because mm-hmm. I, I look at it almost like a child when a child is going to walk, if they fall and make a mistake, you don't yell at them for falling. Like you fell, you're a horrible person. And now everyone's against you. It's like, no, even in my vegan journey, like there were times like relapse is almost a part of the uh, process. Like any totally. addict will tell you that whether you quit drinking or smoking, you know, so I just try to keep it positive in my vegan practice. Yeah, that seems to have gotten more and more vicious to the like cancel culture of vegan celebrities or like vegan YouTube stars. A few people that have said that they're not vegan anymore. There has been like malicious attacks. Right, right. And it's it's counterproductive because you're in a movement that's all about compassion. And compassion means also having compassion for people and whatever their struggles are. Because if you even understand food and food choices, people make it seem like it's a conscious thing, but it's not a conscious thing for everyone. You have a lot of people who, you know, eating is a psychological choice. Mm. You know, you have who, they're going through something horrible in their own lives. And then they go to their fridge and they're like binge eating. You know, it's, it's almost a sickness. It's not even something that they're consciously choosing to do. Um, but people don't keep things like that in mind when they judge people for food choices. Yeah. The connection between food and mental health, I think is underestimated for sure. And even how one diet can make someone feel like for me, if I eat peanuts, I'm fine. If the next person eats peanuts, they can die. So I listened to when, you know, when I went vegan, it's just like, when I went vegan, I felt great. And then, you know, I'll read stories about other people and she's like, oh, I went vegan and I was passing out every other day. You know, then it's like, well, if she decided to stop being vegan, like, I'm not going to judge her. Like, I understand, like, maybe she needed to add more to her diet, but I understand why she said like, okay, I can't do this because that would be traumatic. And then I'll see all these vegans writing rude stuff. And I'm just like, wow, this is, this is just going to give her a stigma about the vegan movement. And she's not even going to want to try it again because she's not going to want to be a part of this. Well, and that's kind of like what you said in the beginning, you were like those, you saw that extreme example and you were like, absolutely not. Yeah, <laughs> no, no. Mm-mm. So I'm curious with 2020, um, in some ways being a bit of a dumpster fire. Um, (laughs) how has your work been affected? Like, I don't have many connections to people who work in that industry. Is that been a problem? Um, it's, it depends. Like for me, everything actually worked out pretty good. Okay. Um, yeah. Like now I'm working remotely and with TV jobs, I kind of prefer that because TV jobs can be a lot. So mm-hmm. just having your own space um, can be a blessing. Um, but I know a lot of the work, I think we're at like 30%. I think I don't want to be like Trump and spitting out crazy facts that don't <laughs> exist. But I, <laughs> but I think we're um, I think we're about at like 30% capacity. So other people might be feeling it a little more than I am. What do you mean 30% capacity? 
oh, 30% of the kind of workforce is back, like the productions are back. Oh, so okay. I, I was fortunate enough to, you know, land a job on a production, but, you know, other people might not share that experience. I got it. Do you have any plans to work on more, um, like vegan films or shows or like activism in that way in the form of art? So I just did, um, I don't know if I'm supposed to talk about it, but I just hosted a, you know, a show for um, animals. It's like, you know, just advocating for how we could treat, um, especially like farm animals with a little Mm -hmm. more compassion. And then I'm working on a doc about, you know, food disorders now Hmm. in communities of color. That's not something that usually when people talk about food or uh, food disorders, again, like it's always around, you know, white, affluent, skinny women. Mm-hmm. And they're not the only ones that battle with eating. So. So definitely have plans to keep those, that connection to what you're passionate about altogether. Yeah. Do yeah. you have any like dream projects that you're like, oh, I would love to create this someday? Huh. It's great. Hi. Oh, I'm trying to think what would my magnum opus be? Yes. Um, yes. Sure. No, you know what? I kind of, like life has always been like, I'm not a person that has a bucket list per se. Okay. It's like, I'll get inspired in the moment and then I'll just go with like, Oh, in this moment, this is what's calling to me. So in this moment, eating disorders is in my heart. Yeah. Did becoming vegan change like your like or dislike for cooking or like, were you a big fan of cooking before? Like I know before I didn't appreciate cooking as much. And then I went vegan and I was like, Oh, this is a little more exciting. Like I'm a little more excited about this now. Yeah. It was, it was almost like learning a new language and, you know, learning about foods and which we should just learn anyway. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Like a bunch of stuff that I thought I didn't like, it was just like, Oh no, I actually did like this stuff. I just didn't know how to prepare it, like Mm -hmm. cauliflower and Brussels sprouts and kale. Like they were all on my eh list. And then I learned how to prepare them. And I'm like, whoa, these are delicious. And I can eat them every day. Yeah. I remember somebody in the Game Changers film saying that like once he went, like he didn't even know the majority of the vegetables that exist existed. Yeah. He was like, I didn't even know these were a thing yeah yeah and now like I'll even go to you know there's an exotic well it's not an exotic fruit shop but they have like a lot of exotic fruits it's this market mm. and you know they have like the summer sop and what is it like the they look like mangoes I forgot I mean they taste kind of like mangoes I forgot the name of them but I'll just go and get like a bunch of exotic fruits and have little you know like taste parties with my friends and, awesome. and before, I wasn't having that kind of fun around food because food was mainly like, you know, let's stuff our face with greasy stuff that's not good for us instead of like, yo, let's have like a little nourishing circle and yes. learn about healthy foods and kind of get healthy together. So what are your favorite things to cook now? My go-to's, well, now, because my, my diet usually revolves around lifestyle. So right now I work a lot, so I don't have time to prepare a bunch of great, you know, grandiose meals where I'm starting off my Sunday making a lot of beans, but I make them from scratch. So the flavor is like on point. Yes. And then, you know, I'll have some rice, 
And every day I'll kind of switch up what I put in the bowl. So one day might be a Mexican bowl. But the next day I might be like, ah, let me get the tahini dressing and give it another flavor. So I'm in bowl world. Well, it's such an easy way to meal prep. Like literally just like yeah. a grain, some beans and a bunch of veggies. And then you can put different sauces on it. It can be whatever the hell you want. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Whatever your heart desires. <laughs> Um, wow. 15 years. I, um, interviewed someone who went vegan in 1992, um, which is the year I was born. (laughs) So I was like, so you've been vegan as long as I've been on the earth. Um, and he just talked about like the drastic changes in options available. And I mean, obviously that's longer than you have been vegan, but like you in the last 15 years have seen a lot of drastic changes too. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And it's, the thing is, it's way more, the problem is it's way more processed um, options available. So even my doc is a little dated at this point because I was doing my interviews. I did my interviews years ago. Okay. So even if I'm promoting like a plant-based, you know, vegan diet, like, oh, this is a healthier diet. In actuality, if you're eating all vegan processed foods, then it's like, no, you know, because if you're the person, say you're eating all like organic, mostly plant-based and you have your organic chicken, um, that would actually be a healthier diet. If we're not talking about, you know, the animal rights portion or the climate portion, that would be a healthier diet than someone eating all like processed fried vegan foods. Yeah. There's so many things like it's fun. It's fun to like have those things. I've lived in Northern Minnesota, so I don't have like a ton of access to some of the crazier vegan options that like, if I go into Minneapolis, which is a few hours away, like then I can find some fun stuff, but I'm also almost glad that I'm not near places where I can get a ton of those things. Cause like, um, there's this place in Minneapolis shout out or St. Paul shout out to Jay Selby's, but they have like these vegan mozzarella sticks and all this mm-hmm. stuff. And I don't know if I could not get it once a week if I was down there. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. It's a lot of, it's a lot of vegan junk everywhere. And I mean, it's, it's fine, you know, mm-hmm. cause like, even as a vegan, like you need your, your bar food. But the thing is, I think some people are just like sticking to those foods, like in, in the, and they think that it's actually really healthy, but if you're eating all that stuff all the time, it's, it's not a good, a good look. Yeah. I always tell people that it's like helpful to transition. Yeah, there you go. You know, because it's like, okay, if you are really not sure how to do this, literally at this point, you can just eat whatever you are going to eat and find the, like, the vegan substitute. Mm-hmm. But don't do that forever. Right, right, right. And then try to, you know, get out of the box. Like now, you know, they'll have the boxed uh, cauliflower macaroni and cheese. So I'll try to tell people like, no, look up a recipe. <laughs> and and try to just do it yourself like just cauliflower and some noodles and 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 try to stay away from anything in a box or in a bag you know mm-hmm. um so I'm trying to stay conscious of time here but I'm really curious given your 
busy lifestyle and your hectic work and all of that, like, what do you do to kind of slow down and stay connected and take care of yourself? Oh, um, <laughs> <Uh-oh. laughs> no, it's, I, what do I do? I make time with friends. Mm. Like that is important. And even things like, uh, cause I'm big on like human connection that that's what keeps me grounded at the end of the day. So even text messages, my friends know that I hate them because I'm like, no, I don't want to get into the habit of talking to my friends in shorthand. I don't want to get into the habit of LOLing all the time. I want us to laugh out loud together. I want to hear your voice. And I do like the Marco Polo um, text thing. So we're doing video text messages where I can like see my friends and I can go back and watch them talk. So, you know, trying to um, like over the weekend, this Sunday, me and my girl, like we went to Lamert Park and there was a drum circle and, you know, people were just dancing in the street. Mm. So things like that kind of help me unwind or when I get home just to have like, you know, just to keep a peaceful home and like pumpkin carving, have little creative activities to yeah. do it. Take me out of adulthood period, watching cartoons, like all that stuff. <laughs> just kind of like, it sounds like you really want to allow space to like, let yourself be playful. Exactly. Exactly. Make like hot cacao and put turmeric in it and have like the little vegan whipped cream on it as my little like playful dessert. So just think, you know, simple, simple things like that kind of bring me, um, help me decompress and, you know, keep me out of like the anxious space. Yeah. I love that. I think sometimes, um, I think the internet has made self-care to some people feel really like stressful and unattainable. And like, it has to be this like huge, like week long retreat, like that's self-care instead of just being like self-care can be going to bed at 9 PM. <laughs> like, yeah. yep. Self-care can be getting off of Instagram. Like that's another thing. It's all social media. I, you know, I'm on as a media professional, like you want to have a presence, right? But I don't think I spend more than like five minutes a day on any social network. And usually when I'm on, like I'm just checking my messages and I drop a picture once a week or something. And then, no. That sounds like a good, healthy balance. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Um, Is there anything you want to share or talk about that I haven't given you space to say or share? Um, Let's see. I think we had a pretty hearty discussion um see no I can't think of anything was there anything else you needed to know I mean I I could talk about this stuff all night (laughs) I love having these conversations it's so fun to connect with people and similar to when you were saying that like human connection thing like it's one thing to like follow people on Instagram and be like, wow, this person's really cool. But one of the things out of many that I've loved about doing this podcast is just like, I have somehow managed to connect with the coolest people and learn so much. And that's why I like doing zoom. It's like, I want to see your face and like, you know, gauge your reactions and like be able to do that. So I could, I could go into this forever, but I appreciate you carving out some time in your busy day. Oh, no, I appreciate you inviting me to your space and let me be a part of your your journey. 
Thanks for listening to another episode of Consciously Clueless. If you're enjoying this podcast, hit subscribe wherever you are listening. And if you want to help me get this into the ears of more listeners, send it to a friend, text it to a family member, share on social media, whatever you can do to get the word out, I would greatly appreciate. I really love when I see you all sharing and what episode you're enjoying. It's so fun to connect over these conversations, so keep it up. If you want to be read on air as a review of the week, head over to Apple Podcasts, leave a quick review, it only takes a minute, and you could hear it on a Sunday solo episode as a review of the week. Until next time!